Hi, I'm Porig Walsh and you're very welcome to the podcast series All About This. Our mission is to explore the subject of disability in Ireland today. I'll be chatting with people with exceptional ability, their families, policymakers, and clinicians working in the field. We hope that these conversations will inform, inspire and sometimes challenge current thinking on disability. We're all about this and we're glad that you are too. Coming up on today's episode. Currently the CERC report has allocated one teacher to SNAs to every six pupils in a classroom of children with severe profound intellectual disability. That isn't enough. On today's episode we talk with Marie Burke, principal at Carmona Special School in Glenagiri. We ask her about what it's like to run a school for children with disabilities, what is important when creating a school environment for them and what kind of qualities she looks for in the staff she hires. All about this. So today at All About This, we're talking about special education and the Carmona School in Glenagiri in Dublin have kindly thrown their doors open to us to have a look and have a chat about special education in Ireland today. I currently am joined by Marie Burke, who's the principal of the school. So we're going to talk a little bit about special education, what happens in a special ed school, what are the directions and what's important in their job. So thanks for joining us, Marie. You're very welcome. So first of all, tell us a little bit about Carmona School. Okay, so Carmona School is a school for pupils with severe or profound um, general learning disability. Um, the age range in the school is from four to 18 years. Um, so even though we're classified as a primary school, we work with children up to the age of 18, young adults. Um, the school itself has got seven classes for these children. Um, we have a teacher and two or three SNAs per class to support the children in their learning. Um, we're supported by clinicians in Carmona Services. So we have, thankfully, the support of speech and language, um, occupational therapy and physiotherapy. And our behavioural supports come through the Callan Institute, which are attached to St John of God also. So what were the reasons that you got involved in special education? Have you always worked in special ed? No, I've worked in mainstream and then I've worked in special class in mainstream and then I came from that to a special school. I loved the idea that I could work with small groups of children and hone in on their absolute particular personal needs and strengths, of course. And that's what's drawn me essentially to working in special ed. The idea that I can meet the children's needs and not be so worried that there is a large group of children um, with a huge diverse range of needs but I've actually got a small group of children that I can with the support of SNAs get to the crux of their needs and facilitate their learning. Your role as a principal is a little bit different though than a teacher there's a whole host of different skills that you need to have working in the school is this your first principal's role? It is yes so I've started here and I've stayed here because I love it. Um, It's really really varied the jobs change from year to year I think the I just become more aware of the role as it expands and each new piece that's added then is added to the previous pieces so it is constantly expanding. Um, We work I work with two nurses throughout the week in the school. So there's the whole piece around the medical supports for the children. We work with bus escorts and bus drivers. So we're looking at the start of the child's day to when they're going home. And I'm responsible for that. We employ the um, the escorts ourselves here directly as a board of management. So really, we're looking at the child's entire day. This, their school day starts maybe at a quarter to eight in the morning with the bus arriving at, at the door with a bus escort that's been employed by the school and that I manage. And then the child is brought into school and then working in school positively with their teacher and SNAs and the clinicians aboards and then going home again on the bus to their home, getting home maybe at half three, sometimes four, 
and that would be the end of their school day. So it extends from very early in the morning to the, to the moment the child gets home. You mentioned that you hire uh, people, so you're involved in the interviewing process for people working in the school, and that you mentioned that children have severe and profound intellectual disabilities and special needs. What kind of things do you look for in people and what kind of values base do you think they should have when you're you're interviewing to work with the, the students that you provide services for? I suppose we need we look for a lot of different. We, there's 21 SNAs, so actually 20 SNAs at the moment in the school and there are eight teachers because we have one child with, who's a one-to-one teacher. So there are eight class teachers and 20 SNAs. So you look for a range of strengths across the group. Um, we can't have all of our teachers and our SNAs, I suppose, having the same attributes would be quite impossible to get. But essentially, I look for a kind, happy person. I want somebody that's going to be really happy in the role, that has experience of working with people with special special education needs. And often family members may have had and a disability and that's what's drawn somebody in the first place to the school. Um, so they have that empathy and that understanding. Um, we also look for that understanding from, from staff that the child is part of a family and that family are in the community and that the needs of the family are as important as the needs of the child. Um, respite again comes into that, but that, that's another thing we could talk about later. But um, just for the, for the, for the staff to realise that the child is part of this bigger group. And there's there's part of that, that that's quite tricky because you're not just looking for a specific type of educator, but you're actually looking for a specific type of person who brings a certain value space. And what is the value space that you're looking for within a special education setting, particularly when you're leading that, that person or that team? Well, a, a very important value that I would look for in every staff is the recognition each child is an individual and that each child has got huge potential, that the child isn't defined by a label or a disability, but that each child has got ability to communicate and ability to make their needs known and to make choices and to change their environment or to request changes and for us to facilitate that. But it's that understanding, that innate understanding that the person that we're working with, the young person that we're working with has all of those skills. Some of them may be buried deep inside them because they haven't had a chance to flourish and, and to come out, but they're there and we need to absolutely and utterly respect that and enable the child to flourish in the classroom. How does it differ teaching or working in a mainstream setting to working in a special education setting? Because you've had this interesting journey where you've worked as a mainstream teacher and then you've worked as a special education teacher within a mainstream setting and now you're in a special education school. What's the difference between those three different settings? Well, I much prefer working in a special school. I have to say that first and foremost. Um, Why is that? I think it's because, and I've analysed it myself, but I think it's because I get huge job satisfaction from this role um, we have at the moment in the school there are 33 pupils so that in itself it's about the size of a large mainstream class in a mainstream classroom there are huge needs and strengths within the one room one teacher is supposed to meet all of those children the children's needs the varied needs and bring them all forward it's a really big ask and it can be done very very successfully and I believe I did do that myself but I always felt a bit of guilt that I wasn't getting to some of the children in the room as well as I wanted to. I never feel that guilt here. I always feel that whatever the child needs, whatever the family need, we can do so much to support them and to look at bringing the child's 
gifts out because we have the, the staff, because we have the, the positivity of the staff and the training and the inputs. The staff can see that by being working or by, by balancing out their timetable across the day, that a lot of one to one time can happen. And with that one to one learning, the children flourish, the children come out, they, the skills that were maybe just coming through get stronger and stronger. And we feel that we can reach what they need. I suppose uh, your, your training was, was initially as a mainstream teacher. Um, how did that training prepare you for a role as a special educator or were there things within that that you took or would there be improvements that you'd notice within that that part of your training? Well, I suppose on my journey towards working in a special school, I always looked to maybe the more marginalised groups within the school, within the mainstream school, be it children with special needs that were diagnosed or children with undiagnosed needs, children with social emotional issues, children from the traveller community who maybe had, were struggling with some social aspects of their lives as well. So I always felt drawn to those pupils that I was teaching in the mainstream classroom, which then led me to working in the special class. All I can say is that I've grown as a person as I've worked through the system. I've also upskilled myself along the way. I've availed of lots of training and will continue to look for that. I think continuing professional development development is really important. It's not always possible to do a huge piece like a a master's or a postgrad, but there is so much learning that's available in small in small batches on with maybe more informally, and that's what I've availed of as I've gone of as I've travelled through my journey in education. What kind of resources do you feel like? Because you mentioned that the the school here it's about. 33 pupils in the school so there's actually quite a small cohort of students attending here and that's that can be typical of a of a special education needs school but within that there are lots of resources and you mentioned clinical supports and you mentioned different materials and we've seen the outdoor classroom and the different sensory supports that are in the school but what kind of extra resources do special education settings need? Well I think the most important resource in a special education school is staff and the right staff the right approach and the right the right inputs for those staff to to feel that they have the tools to complete their job successfully currently the circ report has it has allocated one teacher to SNAs to every six pupils in a classroom of children with severe profound intellectual disability that isn't enough with six children and two SNAs a lot of that time is taken up in care needs some some of our classes the children are non-ambulant so they're in wheelchairs and they need to be assisted by hoisting for their care needs to be met with a class of six that would be two SNAs taken up taking up their whole day carrying out those activities which are exceptionally important and need to be done with the highest care and um, the child's dignity um, valued at all times throughout that but that's two SNAs gone with the, in, taking part in those roles whereas a classroom with less children maybe five children and three SNAs a lot more work can happen a lot more learning can happen so my primary piece working in special ed and special schools in, in this special school is to look and I've advocated through um, the NCSE and working with different principals um, through the IPPN network to advocate to have the ratios changed. They need to change. As I've stated, if there's just two SNAs in a classroom with six children, the learning is impacted. The children's abilities to be become more independent, to have greater access to more activities diminishes. So the more staff that we have, the better. What other kind of resources are needed in, in a special ed school in terms of the materials or the, the clinical supports to create that really strong supportive environment? Well, we take advice from our clinicians throughout the year 
throughout the, the time of the school, the children would, ac- would have access to supports and any recommendations that come through from, say, for example, speech and language. They may recommend a certain piece of software or a certain piece of hardware. Unfortunately, we don't always get to get access to the pieces that are recommended. Um, this year, for example, um, a speech and language therapist and our occupational therapist recommended eye gaze technologies for a group of children in the school. But when we put in our application, which was huge and very time consuming we were refused that by the Department of Education so that was very disappointing Um, we're still trying to look at different channels of achieving that but I suppose what I'm saying is any recommendations that come through from the clinicians we're very very quick and very able to resource ourselves or to look to the Department of Education for funding for those resources There's a big blue poster of a guy inside the school when I come in he's like some type of alien and he he's called Bop but there's this sign saying be openly positive over him. Is that something that the school follows or is that a value or what? what's the story with this guy? So last year um, and the year before we were working with Callan Institute um, around school wide positive behaviour supports. So we've we've taken on board the advice and the supports of Callan Institute around how we look at our children's behaviours. I suppose we were looking for support because we did we weren't receiving psych- psychology support through John, St John of God Carmona Services. So we went looking. Callan Institute were exceptionally forthcoming and friendly and inviting. So we took them into our school wholeheartedly and became part of a school-wide positive behaviour supports approach. What it means in this school is that we look for the positivity all the time. We look for the positives in in the child. So BOP, our little alien friend on the corridor, BOP, be openly positive, is to remind us as we walk in the door to look for the good, to praise the good, to to praise the improvements and to give our children that feedback. It's not to say we weren't doing it before, but now it's really explicit. So working along with the Callan Institute, it made us really hone in on the reasons behind our children's actions. Most of our children are nonverbal, so their communication to us is how they behave. And if a child behaves in a way that may be seen to be problematic or maybe socially unacceptable, then we're looking at what is the message behind that behaviour and trying to facilitate the child to communicate that message in a way that is socially acceptable and will give them the greatest success as they travel through their lives. By working along with Callan Institute, we've looked at, I suppose, over 100 behaviour reports around behaviours the child might have had, for example, or different children might have had, for example, as, as small as sitting down. Maybe a child is transitioning from one place to another and instead of being able to do that journey, they need to sit down in the middle of that and think about things for a while. And it, that could be a half an hour or it could be two hours. So then we analyse that afterwards and think what was the most likely communication behind that behaviour. And from that, we've extrapolated some key messages that we think the children are trying to convey to us non-verbally again and we have worked really hard with the Callan Institute to teach the children those skills that they would need instead. So for that child who maybe found it difficult to, to transition from possibly the classroom to the cafe then we've worked backwards and realised well actually maybe we didn't give enough forewarning to say this is where we're actually going. We may, we may have said it verbally but we may not have used a um, picture prompt or a an object of reference. So then we would say, okay, one of the key messages there was, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where we're br- you're bringing me, and so I'm not. I don't trust this situation, so I'm just going to sit down. So instead of the child having to do that the next time, we know that 
by giving the verbal explanation and a use of an object of reference and use of a picture prompt, the child is far more certain to achieve a really successful transition. And that's again working not with the Callan Institute, but with our speech and language support and having a total communication approach in the school. So I, I'm interested in, in, you've talked a lot about the school and it's really positive, but also that there's, within the school, you mentioned that it covers the entire school day for the child, but also there might be responsibilities for a school that has a lot of experience and knowledge in supporting parents around that. Uh, where do you see the school's responsibility supporting the family? And also, where do you see special education schools or special educators in mainstream settings helping society to understand people with special needs or disability a bit more? Okay, so starting with parents and I suppose families, they're hugely important. I think we, we would all in the school see that we have a holistic view of the child, that we don't separate the child's school time from the rest of their lives because we can't. They, whatever skills the child is learning in school, they have to be then able to have those skills at home. So we, the parents are really, really important in terms of linking in with us as we are learning possibly from a speech and language therapist how best to bring the child's communication forward the parent is there with us the class somebody from the class team is there and that is a learning experience by everybody in the room which is then carried out in the classroom and at home and the class teacher will then support the family by touching base with them regular regularly to see how that's going if they need any tweaks if they need any extra supports at home so that's how we work we bring the parents along with us Obviously, the parents are exceptionally busy and they have really tricky time, tricky phases in their lives when their child's needs are not being met um, outside of school in, in possibly in terms of respite or in terms of support that maybe in-home in support the family might require. So it can be exceptionally stressful and we're really, really aware of that. I personally am a parent and I know that for families to be ready and have the child ready for school and have everything that they need in place is a, is, is a big ask. So we're exceptionally aware of the, of the demands on the parents' lives and that bringing the child into school or having the child brought into school on the school bus is a time for the families to then maybe just have a break, have that time for themselves and not be concerned that we'll be contacting them to say, oh, such and such isn't working or this has gone wrong or there's an issue. We really, really, really try very hard to minimise that contact. We will contact families around positive issues that are coming up or maybe meetings to bring something forward. But in terms of the child's day to day management um, in school, we really try to keep that as a school piece. What we have done is worked along with families to bring um, bring families into the school. It's a different scenario because in a mainstream school, families gather at the gate um, up until maybe second or third class. The children are brought into the line and then maybe the older children, parents gather at the gate. We don't have that gathering at the gate, unfortunately. So we don't have that natural time for families to just get together and have a little chat. So what we've tried to do is invite families in for coffee mornings, for chats to discuss. Maybe I talk a lot about communication. I think it's exceptionally important. So we would do a lot about that. Um, teacher may be involved and um, we're trying to include as many people from the school as possible in that. Actually, interestingly, just in terms of the wider community, from one of those coffee mornings, a suggestion around siblings being involved in their children, in their in their own siblings school day. Um, it was a suggestion from a parent. So we then developed a sibling morning. So twice a year, 
we have the children in our school, in Carmona School, their siblings who are attending mainstream school come into school and spend the morning together doing the same activity in the same classroom and then having some added on extras like hot chocolate or ice cream, whatever it is to make it, to turn it into a special, a more special occasion. But essentially the children are together in the classroom working together, creating a piece of art or a piece of music and experiencing, especially for the siblings, experiencing life in a special school. That's been really successful. And in fact, another one of the siblings has then presented to her peers in her mainstream class all about her sister and her time in this school. Um, So it's been really, really good. Before when we were talking, you mentioned about being a child-centred school. Working in, in settings for people with disability, you often hear this term person-centred plan or PCP mentioned. You're talking about child-centred actions. What does that actually mean? Because that's different. You're saying that decisions are made around the child for the child. What's that about? Okay, so I suppose it means that in our day-to-day planning for the school, we're making decisions around what is the best for the child. And it's individual. It's not the children. It's each child in the classroom. So if it is that a lesson is planned but a child is maybe communicating that they don't want to be part of that lesson just now that child is allowed or is encouraged to seek a break card or to indicate that it's a break they need a break or it would be their their behavior would be communicated back to them as okay i hear that you need a break and that is allowed so the child is then in a, allowed and able to go out of the room with an SNA with to support them, to have a break from the classroom, to maybe go and experience some nature in our in a sensory area or to go to the playground and then come back into the class in about 10 minutes and then continue on. And what that means is that our planning is flexible. The teacher's plan for the day, the SNA's plan is flexible and it is determined by how the child is an individual child in the room and there could be five or six how that child is in that moment so that they're not the child isn't constrained by our timetable it starts from there and I suppose that that extends the whole way through the school to our transport if a child isn't having a great time on a bus possibly we then look at changing the bus or changing the staff or changing an approach or changing the environment on the bus to make it work for the child and to meet their needs and to respect their communication to us. That must be challenging at the start because you have curriculum responsibilities and some schools might think well well, hold on a second here we do have a curriculum to get through and there are certain timetables that we need to follow. How did you find that challenging to change to a more child-centred approach at the start? Can you think about how that journey has been? Yes it was a change. Um, I suppose when I started here in the school the timetable was set and the timetable was adhered to and mostly was very successful but there were pockets of time in the day when children may not have been not all the children, but maybe a child on a day might not may not have been happy and their happiness levels would have been, I suppose, affected by the fact that they weren't in the position or in the location or doing the activity that they would have preferred to do. And we talked about it hugely as a staff and we it took a long time um, to for us to realise actually and not to realise as was for us to accept and to bring it into our planning that a child that isn't happy isn't learning and we have the scope and we have the ability to be reactive to how the child is um, and we've been able to do that what we're doing now I hope and I think we are is being proactive so that we're really really thinking about what the children love to do and 
proactively planning to have access to those activities. So a child may be doing a less favourite activity, but they know that one of their most favourite things is coming up next. So they're quite accepting to do the least favourite activity first. Um, I think these approaches should be in mainstream the whole way through our, all of our schools but um, I know that I'm able to do this here and our staff, my staff are able to do it here and we've had great success with it I think it could also be applied and should be applied to mainstream How would you like to see special education improving over the next 10 to 20 years and what direction do you think it could or should take I love working in special school I really really value the fact that this is a small school we are like a little community all of the staff know all of the children by name they may even know their siblings they may know their name of their pet Um, so there's lots of little informal chats and contact happening throughout the day so that the children are included so much in the life of the school I absolutely believe in my core that Every child in this school is included t- to the max in their own education. They are included, so it's inclusive. They are included in all of the planning. They're at the centre of it. They're not, I suppose, which can happen in mainstream, an extra or an add-on or maybe another consideration. So I believe that for the children that I'm working with, a special education setting is fantastic and it meets their sensory needs it meets their um, communication needs brilliantly um, I think the future of special ed in Ireland is it's, it's wide open it's going to change I think I think that eventually it's been noted and it's been seen that all of our children have different needs all of our all of our children have different strengths and we need to as a as a society in Ireland and as an educational body the department of education need and have recognized that for example a a textbook every child every child writing in the same textbook or being expected to complete a textbook by the end of the year the same as all their peers in the classroom is not a reasonable expectation in a varied, mixed, mainstream classroom. Um, so advice from the department that, that textbooks are being done away with and to bring in worksheets, I'm delighted to hear that. So differentiation, I hope, will become part of daily life for school school life in Ireland. Um, so each child in the class will have their needs considered separately. There won't be just one book for all. It'll be differentiated activities throughout, which will then allow far more inclusive and successful learning for the children who have diagnosed special needs in that room. I still feel, though, that the children in my school are flourishing here. And I think in the next 20 years, I think we will only get better and their experiences will get better. Marie, thank you and to all of Carmona School for being all about this. We're all And that's it for this episode of All About This. Remember, you can get in touch and continue the conversation with us on Facebook and Twitter and find out more on allaboutthis.com. Thanks to our producer, Amy O'Dwyer at Trees Road Productions. Until next time, thanks for listening.